You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. And some of them we could publish in the humor section in Reader's Digest. Uh, it's, to me, it's amazing how, how clear the gospel is in the New Testament, how simple it is, and it's amazing to me how complicated people make it. Um, <clears throat> it's, just, it's just not as clear as it needs to be to some people, and I, I want to make it so clear today that for some of you this will be controversial. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you for this great church and for the things that you've done in this community through the years, through this ministry, all the families that are touched, the lives that are touched. I pray for a grand celebration on Christmas Eve for people to come here and then to find you, Jesus. And now, Lord, I pray that as we share your word today, that people will hear and believe. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, for a message that they will never forget. In Jesus' name, amen. The early Christians were confused. The apostles, Peter, James, and John, were confused. The men who followed Jesus were confused about how to stay saved and what was really necessary for salvation. Can you imagine Peter, James, and John not clear about salvation by grace alone and what that meant? Can you imagine the apostles confused about salvation when that's their life calling? They weren't sure if salvation was by grace alone or if there was something else they had to do, the apostles. Okay? We're going to see this in just a minute. We're going to look at Acts chapter 15 in just a minute. But the apostles, the, the early leaders of the church, they had witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. They preached uh, the good news that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died on the cross for their sins. There were thousands of people that got saved and baptized. And we get all the way to Acts chapter 15, and they're still not clear about salvation by grace alone. And to me, this is, this is the way it is in many people's lives. There are people who are going to heaven. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he died on the cross for their sins. They've been born again. <clears throat> but the apostles were confused about salvation. They had the fire and the fullness of the Spirit, but they weren't sure if salvation was by grace alone or if there was something else they had to do kind of like this. You know, have you ever heard people say this? Yes, you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. You have to follow Jesus to be saved, but... But what? Okay? But equals 
And there's a, an outline in your bulletin. You can use it if you want. But equals Jesus plus something. Now, let me give you an example here. A really clear, simple answer, uh, example. If you're a really good Catholic, do we have any Catholics in Arizona? All right, if you're a really good Catholic, how many of you came from, you come from a Catholic background? All right, so if you're a really good Catholic, and you ask, you ask a Catholic, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Are they gonna say, well, no, no, we don't really believe that. Are they gonna say that? No, they're gonna say, of course we do, but, Right? But you have to be a member of the true church and you've got to go to Mass and you have to submit yourself to the sacraments and especially the Eucharist where the priest is given the authority of God through apostolic succession uh, to administer the body of Christ. So, so you've you got to believe in Jesus, but you've got to be a Catholic. Now there are people who leave the Catholic Church, they can kind of find Christ personally, it's not like they didn't ever believe in Jesus before, but they find Jesus personally. They leave the Catholic Church, or there are, there are what we would call uh, hyper-fundamentalists who would say, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only way you can get to heaven. You've got to believe in Jesus, but you can't be a Catholic There's only one God. You can't, you can't, you gotta be a Catholic or you can't be a Catholic. You know, so it's always this kind of, well, Jesus plus something. Now, the apostles were confused, and a lot of Christians are still confused. Pastors, church leaders, they're confused, and I'm gonna guess that there's some people in this room that are confused. I preached this message at my church in one form or another for decades. And there were still people, after decades of hearing me talk about it, that were confused or that wanted to argue about it. You see, salvation by grace alone is not something that we can understand because we live in a performance-driven world. See? And this is the performance-driven world that we live in is a result of sin. Okay? So because we cannot imagine anything in life without a cause and effect, uh, we can't imagine uh, anything in life without somehow we have to do something to get something. It is impossible for us as human beings because we live in a fallen world to imagine that grace can be absolutely unconditional. But it's really clear in the scripture. We're going to see that today. Uh, look at Acts chapter 15. Let's uh, look at a little bit of history here. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch. Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, and actually they went north. Uh, In the Bible, geography is kind of backwards. If you go south, you go up, and if you go north, you go down. Uh, So they came down from Judea to Antioch. They go north to Antioch. Uh, Jerusalem is near the Mediterranean. You know, it's it's in western uh, Israel, and then Antioch is just about straight north. Today it's in western Turkey. Uh, Eastern Turkey, and they go up to Antioch. We would say up, they went down, and they were teaching the brothers. Okay, they were teaching the brothers. These are actually brothers who are teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, 
Say it with me. You cannot be saved. Right? You've got to believe in Jesus. But the men also have to be circumcised. Now this is just a footnote and it has really nothing to do with the message today. But I've always wondered, how would you know? I mean, did they have scanners? I mean, did they have inspection, you know, booths? What? How did, they, how did you know? You know? And if you're, if you're a Gentile and you have, you're, you're not accustomed to Jewish beliefs and practices, and you become a Christian, and they, most of the Christians are Jews now, and they're circumcised, and, you know, and now you become a Christian, and someone says, dude, you know, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus... You got to be circumcised. Well, what's that? And then you explain to them, and they're gonna go, "What? You got to be kidding me!" No, 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 no. It's right here in the Bible. It's right here. Okay, right here. You want to obey the Bible, don't you? If you really believe in Jesus, you got to do what the Bible says. Now, the reason, the reason this is so important is because circumcision was the big issue at the time, but there are all kinds of other issues now, see. There always have been issues. And the question is, which issue is kind of up there with Jesus? You've got to have Jesus plus you've got to have this. Okay? Uh, which, which really means, you say, Jesus is everything, but whatever you put after the but makes Jesus less than everything. See? Which is why... Uh, this book that I've written, I've got a book and I bought a bunch of, brought a bunch of them and I want you to buy a bunch of them. I usually sell them for $15, but today and today only $10. And uh, it's like two Starbucks, okay? And the t- this is about Galatians uh, and some of the stuff I'm talking about today. And I, I titled it, I, if I said a study of Galatians, people would just push it aside, you know, and buy <coughs> People magazine with their 10 bucks. But... I titled it, Honey, I Just Shrunk Jesus. Because this isn't about a doctrine of salvation. It's about the person of Christ and his finished work and how he's done everything perfectly and how he is more than enough. We sang about that today. He's more than enough. If he is, if he is more than enough and you have to do something else, then he isn't enough. And we make him less than what he really is. Now, you know, this is not about Catholics and Protestants, but, you know, and th- this is true of some church. I'll, I'll mention some other churches in a moment here, but, you know, when you go to a Catholic church, uh, and this is why some people, they find Jesus uh, maybe outside of the Catholic church, and then they don't want to be a Catholic anymore. Jesus is in the Catholic church. But there's so much other stuff. You can't find him. But it's that way uh, in in some real conservative legalistic churches. You know, Jesus is there, but there's so much other stuff you got to do, brother, that you can hardly find Jesus. Now, the, the big question that everybody's going to have to ask themselves today is what is the something that is in your life? And you know, what, what is it that you think is necessary to do when Jesus has done it all? Okay, so we get back to this passage. Acts chapter 15 and uh, this, it says in verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and, disp- and, and debate with them. 
uh, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. This is crazy to me. We're 15 chapters into the book of Acts, halfway, more than halfway through the history of the early church, and they still are not clear on how you get saved. And they, ha- they send Paul and Barnabas and some other believers to ask the apostles, so what do you think about this? Are we really saved by grace alone? Paul is teaching grace alone, and there are other guys who are saying, no, the Gentiles have to be circumcised. Okay, then it says, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they're going south, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the brothers very glad, and when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them, and then some of the, some of the what? believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. That's a very funny line. Believers are Pharisees. Could that, could that ever happen? Okay. Believers are Pharisees. And they stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. You see, the problem with Jesus plus something is that when you add one thing, it's really easy to add two or three more. I heard a Jewish rabbi share one time, and uh, he said, he said there's something like 714 commandments in the Torah, and he said, uh, we don't proselytize. We don't ask anybody to convert to Judaism because we have so many commandments, we can't keep them ourselves. No? So, First, it's circumcision, and then it's keeping all of the laws of Moses. Yes, and here it is, yes, you have to believe in Jesus. This isn't about getting saved. It's about how you work out your salvation. Uh, Yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but... So the apostles and elders met to consider the question. That's so funny, they met to consider the question. They, they They hadn't figured it out yet. Brothers, um, and it says, after much discussion, I, would, I wish that had been recorded, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the hearts showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. He gave them the Holy Spirit. Now, what's Peter talking about? He's talking about Acts chapter 10, where he goes to the house of Cornelius and preaches the gospel. Cornelius is a centurion. He's an uncircumcised Gentile. And Jews don't even go into the home of an uncircumcised Gentile, let alone worship with them. See? So, so Peter, and how did Peter get there? Because well, he's taking a nap on a rooftop on the coast in Joppa, and he has a vision. He's a, kind of in a trance, and... He sees a vision, there's a sheet that comes down from heaven, a, a big canvas, and it's got a bunch of animals in it. And God says, eat. Well, the problem is, these are the wrong animals. I mean, there's, there's like honey-baked ham, and <laughs> apple, applewood smoked bacon, and regular hot dogs. They're not Hebrew national hot dogs, they're regular hot dogs. And God says, eat. And Peter says, I can't eat that. 
And then uh, the, the vision goes away and it comes again. And this time it's got, it's got carnitas and, and uh, you know, pulled pork, barbecue pork sandwiches and pork chops. And, 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 and the angel says, eat, uh, you know. And then he, Peter says, no, I can't do that. And, and a third time it comes down, you know, and Peter says, I cannot do that, you know. Um, and so right about then, and I'm dramatizing this, right about then, there's a knock at the door. And it's a Gentile who's been sent by Cornelius to find Peter to ask him to come and talk to the Gentiles. And Peter says, I think I know what that vision means now. See? So he goes to the Gentiles, preaches to them, and while he's preaching, it's the only place in the book of Acts where nobody lays hands on people before they receive the Holy Spirit. So while Peter's preaching in the middle of his sermon, the people, these Gentiles, start speaking in tongues. They start speaking in the languages of the Spirit. And that's what Peter's talking about. He says here, uh, God knows the heart. Showed, he showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. It's Jesus plus nothing. Salvation is not based on Jesus, but, fill in the blank, or Jesus plus something, my eternal relationship with God is based on Jesus in me plus nothing, and that changes everything. Everybody wants to taste a little bit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They want just one bite of that fruit. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil is about human effort to, to get to God. You know, if you eat from this tree... If you know what's right to do and do it, and you know what's wrong to do and don't do it, you can become like God. See? What does God give us? It's the tree of life. He does it all. It's not a little Jesus and a little effort on my part. It's by grace and by grace alone. Totally. Absolutely. And that's what changes everything. The reason some of you people have actually changed, it's a miracle, <laughs> it's because of God's grace. How many of you have tried to change yourself and you've mastered that? No. Tell, uh, turn to the person next to you and say to them, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Are good Now the question is, are good works important? Yes, they're important. We've been created for good works. But not to get saved or to stay saved, but because you are saved. They have everything to do with living your life the way God wants, experiencing the fullness of the kingdom life, of kingdom life in this life and rewards in heaven. But good works don't save you or keep you saved. Only grace does that. Now, it's, it's a family thing because you're born again. When you're born again, you ask Jesus into your life, when you're born again, you get a new nature. 
That's why Paul says in Galatians, I'm crucified with Christ. Okay, my old nature is crucified with Christ. I have been hung on the cross with Jesus and my old nature has been condemned and killed. I am crucified with Christ. I don't go to heaven. I don't go, I'm, I'm not on the way to hell because I do bad things. And I don't go to heaven because I do good things. I have a nature problem. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Here's a really good guy. He's the cream of the crop. He's a religious leader. He's a good Jew, and he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, oh, Nicodemus, go home. You know, you got it made in the shade. You're way ahead of all the people there in your synagogue. Is that what Jesus says? He says, you must be born again because the issue is not doing good or doing bad or not doing bad or not doing good. The issue is whether or not you've been born again, whether or not you have a new nature, the nature of Christ. The Bible calls it regeneration. And that word, re, what's in the middle of that? Regeneration. You get new genes, you get a new nature. You get Christ in you, and that becomes our hope of glory. And it's Jesus plus nothing. He's more than enough. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood to get me in and his righteousness to get me out. Uh, and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. So when I get the nature of Christ, I get perfection in me. It's a family thing. How many of you have children, or you, you've had children, or you've seen children? Okay. Now where do the children come from? Where do the children come from? They come from you, right? How many of you have parents? Okay. Now how many of you love your children? How many of you love your children? You have a special love for your children. Um, how many of you love your children more than you love your neighbor's children? <laughs> or your, even your brother's children? How many of you love your children more than you love the neighbor's children, even though the neighbors have better children? <laughs> What's up with that? Are you sick? You should only love your children when they're good. Why do you love them when they're not good? Why, why, what's wrong with you? Because God doesn't love us when we're, when we're not good. Oh, yes, he does. And if the Bible says if we as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more the heavenly father? My, my wife and I have three children, and they're all doing really well. I mean, they love God, they're involved in their church, they tithe. We never taught them to tithe, but they tithe, okay? Uh, they give regularly, and uh, people want to know, what's your secret? I'll tell you what our secret was. As soon as they knew the difference between right and wrong, we told them, we love you, but... You know, God loves you, but... We love you, but... Uh, you've got to do what we tell you to do. And we care about you, and we want you, we want you to live a good life, but 
there's, there's always the possibility that if you go over the line, we won't love you anymore. <laughs> and uh, we, will, we will just, you won't be our children anymore. We'll get other children. <laughs> and that's why they turned out so good. You'd say, you're a sick man. <laughs> and yet, think about how many people think that that's the way God relates to them. You know, uh, you've got to believe in Jesus, but, but you know, you, you're a Christian. You shouldn't be doing that. So there's always this guilt. Now there's conviction. There's conviction of the Holy Spirit. Are good works important? Absolutely. But do our behaviors risk our relationship with the Father? See? To our behavior. You know, there's, Jesus told a story, uh, James, and I, I can never, I, I always have it like a mental gap. Maybe I'm getting too old. It's the, the story of the prodigal, prodigal. So, oh, son, that's right. Not just the pervert. It's not the uh, parable of the pervert. It's the pr- par- parable of the prodigal. Some of you have had prodigal sons, but they're still sons. This is why understanding the doctrine of salvation, as Paul teaches us, teaches us in Romans and Galatians, is so important. It's not about works at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end. It's about whether or not you have a new nature, whether or not you've been crucified with Christ, and whether or not Christ is in you. And if he's in you, it is enough. You see, in the Catholic Church, they have a doctrine that's called purgatory because you don't have enough lifetimes to pay for all the stupid stuff you've done. Some of you need another 10 or 20,000 years to do penance. But I, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Uh, you know, if I don't have enough life, if, I don't, if, if, if a thousand lifetimes are not enough to pay for my sin, guess what? Just the opposite is true. The righteousness of Jesus is enough to pay for a thousand lifetimes of sin. Do families have rules? Yes, they have rules. But in order for the kids to stay their kids, why do you have rules in your family? Because you want your children to grow and mature and to become everything that you believe they should be. That's why God has rules. God does not have rules to keep you. Uh, We have in us the spirit that cries, Abba, Father. We, have not, we're, we're not, we don't have a spirit of slavery, you know, and where, where, we, where we do things because of fear, because perfect love casts out just about all fear. It's all fear. And God's love is perfect, and the work of Christ is perfect. By his perfect sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, the Bible tells us, by his by one sacrifice, by his perfect sacrifice, he has made you perfect forever. That's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Turn to the, now we're kind of encouraging each other. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're perfect. You don't look, you don't look perfect. You don't always act perfect. But from God's perspective, you're perfect awesome. 
Jesus doesn't come into your life because he likes your good works. Jesus comes into your life when you're a sinner and you become a child of God. Good works don't produce Jesus. Jesus in you produces good works, good fruit. Good works are the outcome of Christ in you. Christians are fruit trees, not Christmas trees. Salvation, uh, good works don't save me, good works don't keep me saved. Salvation is a gift of God, grace from the beginning to the end. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So I don't work for my salvation or on my salvation, or to keep my salvation, I work it out because it's already in me. And some people don't work it out, and there's a price to pay for that. You're not going to go to hell, but your life will be hell. Okay, I want to see where you are with this. I want to really put you on the spot. I'm going to give you a a stupid little quiz. Can a Christian, uh, is a person still a Christian if they keep smoking? Those are the smokers. (laughs) People say, oh, you're not going to go to hell, but you smell like hell, you know. (laughs) I know I've had a few cigars, and my goodness, a campfire follows me around for three days. And it's not just a campfire. You You got the campfire in your mouth. You got some gum. Uh... So, can you, uh, will you, are you still a Christian if, if you drink? Mm-hmm. You, you drink? Ah, oh, here we go. Guess what we're going to do on Christmas Eve here in this church? Yeah, thanks. That's uh, yeah, really going to help, right? BYOB. Okay, but how, how much? You know, if, well, if you, you drink, a, uh, you know, a couple beers a, a week, a couple beers a day, a couple beers a minute. Okay. So where do you draw the line? Is Jesus plus something? Well, it's Jesus plus only one beer a day. Now, should you drink yourself drunk? Should you drink yourself into liver disease? No. But if, you're, if your child has a problem with alcohol, do you love them less? You know, my friend Hector Torres, you know Hector. Has he preached here? Hector, his daughter, Heidi, ran away when she was 14 years old. And no, they didn't know where she was. Our kids grew up together. He, he worked for me for many years, worked for me and with me. And Heidi ran away, and no one knew where she was for like three weeks. And Hector said, he said, Hector really understands this grace thing. He said, when my daughter ran away, I never loved her more. When your kids are not walking with God or getting themselves into trouble, do you think God feels any differently? Does he want you to be in trouble? Does does he want you just to live like the devil? No. That's why he gives you his word. You know, it's like the owner's manual for your car. 
You can drive your car like crazy, you know. You don't ever have to change the brakes or the tires or get the tires balanced or what. You can do whatever you want, but you're going to ruin the car. And this is why God's given us his word, because he wants us to have heaven on earth to go to heaven in, because there are a lot of people in hell on earth, and we have to, we have to be a blessing to them. That's why Jesus saves us. And you, know, you, you can spend the rest of your life working on your salvation and not having enough time left over or energy to help somebody else find Jesus. That's what the devil wants you to do, see? He wants you to work on your salvation. He wants you to think, well, it's not quite enough. You've got to do more, you've got to do more, you've got to do more. And you're not sure of your own relationship with God. It's going to affect how you minister to others. But Jesus said, out of your innermost being, rivers of water will flow. And that's the, that's the Holy Spirit. You've got the life of God in you. You have the genes of God in you. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got Jesus in you. And God wants you to give that gift to others. So, you know, do drugs? Can you be a Christian if you still do drugs or watch R-rated movies or, or you became a Christian and, you know, you're not married and then you get pregnant and you have an abortion? Are you going to go to heaven? Or you believe in evolution? Or you voted for Barack Obama? You know, you can't, you, you can't be a Christian and vote for the Democrats. I mean, you, you know, I learned that not from the Bible, but from Fox, okay? Fox News. And, uh, and they're right up there with the Bible. And I don't know what's wrong with all those African Americans because nine out of ten of them, they, they vote for Democrats. Yeah, they just, they just want a brother in the White House. That's all it is, you know? You know... I, you know, I'm being, real, I'm being funny, but I'm being sarcastic, you know. I mean, we put all these, you know, I've, I've got a friend. He is the provost at a Christian university, and he's a registered Democrat. It's a very conservative Christian university, and, uh, <clears throat> and he was invited to serve on, a governor's, uh, on the governor's council on education, and they vetted him and found out he wasn't a Republican, and someone in the state legislature said, told him, how, how can you be a Christian? and be a registered Democrat. Now, I don't know where this church is. I'm sure we've got Republicans and Democrats in here. But, you know, this is, these are issues. You think, circum, you, you, think, you think Republican and Democrat is an issue? You think abortion is an issue? Circumcision was such an issue in the New Testament that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem for starting a riot because they thought he took an uncircumcised Gentile into the temple. You know, in the Middle East, people go nuts. Just show them a picture of you burning a Koran. I mean, there's still that just that culture, that kind of crazy culture. Paul was arrested. Eventually, he was executed because he, he associated with people that were thought to be uncircumcised. That was a hot issue. Being a Christian is Jesus in your life plus nothing, and that changes everything. It's grace that changes me. It's only grace that changes me, even after I get saved. It's not getting saved and now working hard. Grace saves me from beginning to end. And this is the message of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, a little background on this, okay? Galatians 
Um, and this statement is from Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Thomas Nelson is a huge publisher. Okay, it's really a sophisticated Christian publishing company. And they've got some of the finest authors in the world. Galatians is one of Paul's great letters. In it, he forcefully proclaims the doctrine of justification, that is, right standing with God by faith alone. Martin Luther, the reformer, claimed Galatians as my epistle. So wedded was Luther to Galatians both in interest and in temperament that together, listen to this statement, together they shaped the course of the Reformation and subsequently all of history since 1517. Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Now I want to explain to you what that means. Why We're going to look at Galatians here for just a moment because Acts is, is about the history of how salvation by grace alone was embraced by the early church. Galatians is about how people still don't get it. How Christians still don't get it. And how Paul has to write to these Christians and call them, you foolish Christians. One of the chap chapters in my book, I, I title it, Idiot Christians. Okay, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect through human effort? See? Galatians is such an important book that it is the root of all non-Catholic churches in the world. It's not just the Bible, it's Romans and Galatians. And here's, here's the deal. People take a little of this from the book of James, a little of this from the book of Matthew, a little of that from the book of Colossians, something from the book of Hebrews, and a couple things from Roman Galatians, Romans and Galatians, and they throw all of that into a blender, and out comes a murky doctrine of salvation. There's only, one book in the New, there's only one book in the New Testament that systematically talks about salvation, and that's Romans. Paul wrote that. Galatians is about how this works itself out in our relationships with each other and in our, in our walk with God. Paul wrote Galatians. Uh, Acts chapter 15 is about salvation by grace alone. Who's the guy that's in the middle of this? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had to explain this to Peter, James, and John. And so I like to say, and Paul is the one who, who, who changed the life of St. Augustine, who changed the life of St. Paul, of Calvin, of all the great reformers. And it's not like there are other things that aren't important in the Bible. Everything is important because it's God's word. But some things are like foundation stones in the Bible. The New Testament is only about 20% of the whole Bible. You know, you just hold it up. But we're Christians because of this part. We're not Jews. So we use this part, this little bit, to understand all of this. And this is a basic principle of Bible interpretation. You have to know what are your pillars, what are your starting points, where, where do you go to understand this. And for the doctrine of salvation, you've got to go to the Apostle Paul. So let's look to see what Paul says in Galatians. Galatians has six chapters. I've got a little outline here, and we're just going to buzz right through that, and we're going to talk about the first part here, uh, section one, a statement of the problem and a defense of Paul's authority as an apostle. Sp specifically, what's the problem? The problem in Galatians is the power of religious traditions with or without Jesus or Jesus plus something. Okay? Specifically, the problem in, Gal in the Galatian churches was a reintroduction of Jewish religious practices, particularly circumcision, 
into the new Christian communities. Jewish Christians were, being, were telling the new Gentile Christians that they had to be circumcised. What we need to realize is that this something, circumcision, was a huge issue among the early Jewish Christians. You see, circumcision came 500 years before Mount Sinai and the law. God had Abraham circumcised, and that was 500 years before Moses. And it, that, was, that was the initiate, that was a ceremony that initiated the birth of the Jewish people. And so it was so important to them. Uh, and it was as important as any controversial issue in our lives today. So the problem here, the problem, if it's going to be Jesus plus something, what is that something going to be? And who's going to decide? And how much of it do we have to have? Are the Baptists going to decide? The Catholics? The Mormons? The United Pentecostals, Church of Christ, who's going to decide? Salvation is either Jesus or religion, not both in any mixture. Religion says, do. Grace says, done. When Jesus ascended into heaven, and what did, what did he do when he, when he ascended into heaven? What's the first thing he did? He sat down. What does that mean? That he just was really tired? Why, why did he sit down? Because when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work was done. And now he becomes our Sabbath, see? There's no more work to do. He sat down. And you know what it tells us in Ephesians? We're seated with him in heavenly places. It's done. The work of Christ is finished, okay? So look at uh, how serious, uh, it's either Jesus or religion, not both in any mixture. So part three in the, in the notes. How serious is this problem of mixing a little Jesus with a little of this and a little of that? Is it really such a big deal? Galatians chapter one. I am astonished, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, what, what, when people are deserting Jesus, what, what does that usually mean? They're sinning, right? There's nothing in here about sin, okay? You, you're deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, the Greek word for gospel, oiangelion, means good news. Gospel, that's why people say it's the good news. It's the gospel, oiangelion. Oi means good, and angelion means message. It's a good message. Uh, Paul says it's a different gospel, but it's really not good news at all, he says. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, that's how I began the message, and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What is the, perver what is the perversion of the gospel of Christ? Jesus plus something. It diminishes the good news because it adds, it adds do to done. Um, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. And as we've already said, so I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a good news other than the one that you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Why is the problem so serious? Why is it such a big deal? Number one, Jesus plus something perverts the gospel. It takes the good news of God's unconditional love in Christ and throws the responsibility back on you, making a relationship with God kind of conditional. And that's not the gospel. It's not good news. That's bad news. Number two, Jesus plus something ruins relationships. 
This is, this is the practical problem with legalism. Because Jesus plus, when there's Jesus plus something, it's always the something that becomes a point of division. Never Jesus. But it's the something, the smoking, the drinking, what you believe about evolution, whether you're Catholic or Baptist or Pentecostal, whether or not you speak in tongues. It's always the something that becomes a point of division. I mean, in this community, there are churches up and down the road. And where I used to serve as a pastor, I drove by four churches on the way home. I only lived three miles away, and there were four churches. Nazarene, Independent, Reformed, Missouri Synod, Lutheran, Southern Baptist. We've got different churches, different buildings, and we're all divided over Jesus? No, over the somethings that sometimes are so important, you can't go to heaven unless you do that. Okay? Um, and look what happened. So uh, Galatians chapter 2. Jesus plus something ruins relationships. Galatians 2.11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. I would have loved to see that. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You know, people say, well, James says we're not justified by faith alone. Faith without works is dead. You know, people throw it all in the blender, all right? Uh, and right here, Peter and James are a problem. And Paul has to confront them. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was like Pastor Bob. He's the nicest person in the building. Okay? You mean Bob won't even eat with the Gentiles? Bob? We thought he loved everybody. Okay? And even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, the good news, the truth is Jesus plus nothing, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile. You're eating those... You're eating carnitas, and uh, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You see, because it was Jesus plus circumcision, Peter couldn't have dinner with those people now. And it's always something. You know, a real hot issue right now is homosexuality and gay marriage. What are we going to do about that? You know what we mostly do, according to surveys? We preach against it, and we vote against it but no one has any friends who are gay. You know, how, what are we going to do about these things? And, you know, where do we draw the line? Well, i got to draw the, that, that's where I draw the line. See, where does God draw a line when it comes to his love? Does that mean that he, a lot, he, he's happy when we just live like the devil? I'll say it again, absolutely not. Paul was accused of, of teaching this, you know, grace can do, means you can do anything you want. He says, you're going to say to me, well, let's sin more that grace may abound the more. Paul says, God forbid, that's not what I'm trying to say. Okay. So why is Galatians such an important New Testament document? Because it shows that even Peter was confused about grace later after Acts 15 and, uh, and Paul had to explain it to him over and over that relationship with God and one another is based on Jesus plus nothing. The application here is that Jesus is never a point of division. It's the something part of Jesus plus something that always becomes the point of judgment and division, limited grace, 
always means limits to the ones we can love, limits to the people we include in our circle. But grace has no limits. Thank God that, God, that he's brought you into his circle because his grace has no limits. People are so confused. I want to tell you. I want to tell you a little story at the end. I'm, I'm going to finish with this story. My brother David, he adopted, he's got two children of his own, then he adopted two children from Russia, Nicholas and Natasha. It's kind of like Boris and Natasha, only Nicholas and Natasha. And those kids are just, they're just extraordinarily dysfunctional. Fetal alcohol syndrome, all kinds of problems. I asked Nicholas, you know, they came, didn't speak a word of English. They, they had to, they were held back in school a year or two. Nicholas never could finish high school. Um, I, I, I asked him one time, he seemed very fond of his grandfather, and I asked him, you want to go back to Russia and see your grandfather again sometime? And he said, I can't, he's dead. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, how did he die? And Nicholas said, my mom killed him. He, uh, his mother was in prison. That's why he and his sister were in an orphanage. I mean, just so much dysfunction. And uh, when they came, uh, Natasha, she's 18 now about. Nicholas is like 21 or 22. When they came, Natasha's real bouncy. She's just a very loving, you know, just funny kid. And uh, she was maybe four years old when she came. She was very active. And Nicholas would say something. She'd get real active and crazy, and he would say something to her in Russian, and she just stiffened up. Just had fear come all over her. And so they asked the interpreter, <clears throat> asked Nicholas what he's saying to his sister, and he was saying, if you keep doing that, they're going to send us back to the orphanage. And my brother said, tell them there's nothing they could ever do that will cause us to send them back to the orphanage. See, my brother is a public school teacher, and on a public school teacher's income, he borrowed money against my mother's house, cost him somewhere around thirty-five to $40,000 to bring these children into his home and to make them kinemans. But you know, the Bible says that I haven't been bought with silver and gold. I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And his finished work in me is forever and ever. Amen. Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special day. It's by your grace that we're saved through faith. It's not our works that make it happen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.